Welcome to today's edition of The Blazing Gray Show with Jason Graves, Mike Janung, and Julie Dozier. Blazing Grace covers important life-affecting issues with grace-filled answers. Here are your hosts, Jason, Mike, and Julie. Are you a wife of a sex addict and struggling? Well, today is your show because we're back in the studio with our wives panel looking at issues and understanding where they're coming from. So we're going to back to them in just a second here. But Julie, Mike, it's uh, you know it's it's great to have you back here. It's great to see your smiling faces. Uh, anything new on the uh, Lakers front, Mike? Are you trying to bum me out or what? <laughs> Kobe still wearing uh, purple and gold for a little while, okay. I guess. All right, all right. <laughs> I hear the Sonics are shopping for a new venue too. Right, I know. Don't remind me now, Julie. I just have to bring to your attention that you're Houston Astros. Just sort of to bring you into the uh, the uh, bantering of, of sports around here. Just smeared my Seattle Mariners. I believe you you killed us like three games in a row. Yeah. Okay, so you owe me. All right. <laughs> but listen, we want to we want to let you guys know out there that. Um, uh, we got a couple of uh, announcements here. Things coming up that you might want to pay attention to and be aware of. Are you a couple struggling with uh, marital issues or are you dealing with stuff that you need to work through? Would you like to come out to sunny Colorado in one of the nicest parts of the year to do some work with Julie Dozier? Well, she's having a marital intensive in September. And so for more information about that, call 719 266 6636. Also, I'm doing an Every Man's Battle, a monthly Every Man's Battle. Uh, coming up the middle of July, the 13th and the 15th, in Nashville. So I think I may stop by the Grand Ole Opry and go see, uh, I don't know what else I can see. But uh, come join us if you'd like to. But ladies, thank you for coming back and joining us. We have Amy and Shanna back on with us on the show. So welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. Boy, it's been a long week, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So listen, let's kind of recap where you you all are coming from. Uh, Amy, you know, you were married about uh, a year and a half and had a four-month-old baby when you found uh, found out about your husband's sexual addiction. And he was into pornography, adultery, uh, I don't know, maybe even masturbation. Uh, and it took you good, you know, prostitutes. It took you about ten months to get into really some solid treatment. And so, uh, you know, you're you're coming to the show with a lot of experience, and you're seeing how uh, recovery works for wives, and you're also seeing the redemptive properties of how you know what it's like to give back. So we'll, we'll have some questions for you in a second here, Shanna. I think you were married about 15 years yes. uh, before you found out. Is that right? No, I found out. I well, I, which part did I find yeah. out about a lot? Which a time, day, right? Yes. Which time, right? Right. <laughs> but you went through a lot of. Uh, uh, your husband went through a lot of denial, so he had some honesty problems. Uh, you worked through a lot of shame to actually fall through on your gut and to fall through with getting the help and sort of respecting yourself and taking care of yourself and you know owning your own recovery. And uh, so we've got a couple questions for you. Uh, Julie, why don't you fire off? Well, Shanna, I wanted to kind of follow up on something that you were saying at the end um, in our last session mm-hmm. is um, that you felt like your husband was uh, doing a lot of denial, but you knew that something was going on. And so uh, you decided to um, just had that checked out and um i I wanted just to say something really to 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 the audience about that is that sometimes people will come to me and they'll say um well i don't want to be uh doing that checking behavior that codependency uh but they haven't gotten anything uh that has allowed their 
spouse to actually say, yes, this is what I did. And some people won't unless they're actually found out. And so I don't see that as in that uh, initial stage as, oh, we can't do the checking behavior because I think that you need to know what you're dealing with before you can know what to do about it. And so uh, some people get kind of confused about that. But um, uh, you were saying that you did actually um, have something checked out. And I, w- I want to kind of differentiate between what I'm talking about and what I'm, and, and later on in recovery when you continue to do that checking and you're obsessing. That those are two different things. Uh, but you do need to know what you're dealing with. And so tell us a little bit about that, Shanna. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that in um, in our case, it was an absolutely necessary step in order for things to really start, you know, moving uh, the way that, you know, for us to move towards recovery. Um, because at the point where, you know, I, I confronted him with the evidence that I had, there was no, there was nowhere for him to go. And um, so, and he was completely broken. I mean, he really went through a, even a physical reaction of, you know, finding out. And it was very, very traumatic. And um, physical reaction, can you be a little bit more specific? Well, um, there was a lot of, um, well, obviously, there was intense crying and um, a lot of, he, he threw up all night long. Mm. I think he was just so, um, in denial himself he was kept convincing himself that he was not doing this and he was going to be able to get out of that and he he i think all along he had wanted to stop you know uh being in these relationships uh with other women and uh, felt just a tremendous amount of shame as he came home so that when i did tell him it was just it was the, you know the bubble burst and um and he you know he he wept all night he could not sleep and and um you know there was just a intense you know intense times of begging and crying and pleading with me because i think he knew that um that you know i was going to take some pretty drastic measures at that point and what were those measures did you set a boundary at that point well, in all honesty, initially I thought for sure we were going to get a divorce. I mean, that's where my mind went. I was, you know, I just was so uh, hurt by, you know, the years of verbal abuse and then on, to top it all off, you know, just having been uh, just lied to. Uh, and when I was, you know, pregnant and, you know, with my second child and, you know, raising two children pretty much by myself, I felt so angry about it. But um, I think that's not what God had in mind, and uh, I somehow I didn't talk about, I didn't use the word divorce that evening, and uh, I just told him that we needed some time to heal. So I asked him, I asked him to move out. I told him that we needed to separate, and not really knowing what God was going to do, I just told him, I said, I'm just going to have to let God guide me through this, and I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just gonna just gonna have to you know go through my grieving process, and uh, I felt I felt I had been you know raped. I mean, I felt just completely disfigured with uh, pain, and uh, I just told him, I said, God's gonna have to heal all that. Now, a lot of wives would sort of make that the exit point, Shanna. Uh, and this question is really for both of y'all. But talk about the times where you just wanted to quit and want to just give up get out, not even look at your own stuff. Amy, you want to talk or? 
Well, for me, it was um, the first year, definitely right after finding out, and um, there was just so much pain, and I had no really healthy tools for knowing how to deal with that, but I did have a therapist say um, that they recommend not making any major changes for the first year or maybe even two of recovery. Um, And now looking back, I'm very glad I had that advice, and I'm very glad that I didn't do that. Mm. Mm. Amen. There's been a lot of fruit in your life because of it, hasn't there? Yes, and also I realize now that I feel a little bit healthier. Um, I wasn't in the right mind frame to make any major changes. It wasn't, that would not have been in my best interest. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, when is giving up on a marriage ever, you know, in the best interest? You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, even if your spouse, male or female, has had, uh, you know, an adulterous relationship, certainly, biblically, that's one of the only provisions for adult you know for divorce however it's not a uh a directive you know i think god still can repair a marriage as evidenced by what's going on in amy and shanna's lives in marriage uh and that's his heart you know god hates divorce uh-huh. so julie you've got you look like you got a question bo- bubbling up inside uh, it's you. just bubbling okay. um and this is for uh, either or both of y'all is i wanted to ask y'all what was the hardest part of recovery so far and um and how did you handle that Amy, you're so good at going first. <laughs> My answer to that is the same. It's the first year, definitely the first year, mm-hmm. just because um, you're learning that all of your coping behaviors are not things that you're really supposed to be doing, so you're trying not to use your coping behaviors, and you haven't learned yet the new healthy behaviors. It's just a very difficult time, plus all the grieving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shanna? Uh, I would say it's the same. I mean, it's... Um, I guess you don't even you don't even know what you're doing wrong when you start into recovery. What you think is right is actually a lot of times, you know, wrong thinking. And um and obviously as you're going through the pain of, you know, the discovery, it's just, you know, it's it, you're just confused. I mean, just to try to figure out what's right, what's wrong, but um it's just being I guess being patient, mm-hmm. being patient to let God um you know, teach us things, and uh, for me, that's that's been um, that's been kind of what what has happened. Mm-hmm. Ladies, there's a lot of Christian men out there who would say <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with porn; it's just pictures, and I'm not really hurting anybody. And can you both describe for us what you saw happen to your husband's character and his walk with God as a result of their getting messed up with porn and sex addiction? Hmm. Begin awkward silence now. <laughs> Amy, you want to start us off? Um, well, I can say as a victim of that that it is certainly painful. Mm-hmm. And I remember trying to deny myself that it was causing me pain when it absolutely did. Um, I definitely saw my husband just in general dehumanizing people. Mm-hmm. Not even just women, but people in general. And it just it really just made him a detached less um intimate person right right it is really pornography sexual addiction and idolatry in general really is that it's the death of intimacy you know you're talking about the objectification of people how can a human being who's full of the communicable traits of of god you know the ability to sense to feel to love uh, how can a person like that be in relationship with an object 
So therefore, when we make people objects, there is no intimacy in that. There's only false intimacy. And so, yeah, great point, Amy. Thank you. Shannon, what do you have to say about that? Well, you know, the sad thing is that I can say for us that he, my husband, oh, he so longed for mm. intimacy, for, you know, deep connectedness. That's yeah. what he was talking about. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he was engaging in all these activities that were completely breaking, you know, any anything that would bring that real close and, you know, close intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, I could say that, you know, distance, I felt a lot of dis- distancing and um, just, um, you know, as far as his, uh, his walk with the Lord, it, it just became um, pretty uh, pretty absent, I guess, in his mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Were you guys going to church during this whole time when you discovered? Yes, yes. We, we were too. Mm-hmm. Wow. How was the church, uh, I'm reading Mike's mind, uh, how helpful was the church to you, to you in your process? Be honest. Mine was um, actually very unhelpful. I had a lot mm. of people say um, just things out of ignorance. They didn't know how to handle it, and they didn't really understand um, the addiction or the depth of what the problem was. Right. Sad, huh? But, you know, I mean, just like, I mean, we're not ever out there to condemn the church. We are the church. But just like in society, there's just a lot of people that don't have answers. We need more awareness on the subject. That's why this show will definitely be helpful. Oh, well, especially since, I mean, God always used the, the church as the primary vessel of grace in every problem in in our culture in in our world and history and why would it be any different with sexual addiction and i'm i'm wondering amy what were some of the things that people at the church said to you that were not helpful and then uh, what were some things that you wish that you could have heard from the church mm-hmm. in my my situation i really needed compassion during that first um first few months and year of finding out um i had a lot of people who knew enough to know that i had a lot of brokenness as well that i needed to deal with right. <laughs> and they um decided to tell me that instead of um just saying sorry i'm sorry that happened to you i'm sorry that you're going through that i really could have used a lot of compassion from my church right. one of you said at the end of last week's show that you had a great need <clears throat> to be around others in pain. And I can relate to that because I just get tired of the facade and the superficial and the shallow. And I can't explain it, but I just I love being a people around people who are real, who are broken, who aren't hiding or covering up their pain or their messes. And, and I respect and appreciate my brothers and sisters who are like that far more than I do you know, those who are pretending they got it all together. So I just want to thank both of you for coming on and being real with us. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Shannon? What was your experience with, with church, and how helpful or, or not helpful was that for you? Well, initially, um, we were actually brand new in, in a new town, so we didn't have a lot of relationships, um, you know, in our new city at church. So that was kind of hard. Uh, the other relationships um, from from where we moved from, the, the other church we had, uh, I felt that people were emailing me that, you know, after a week of being separated, that it was now time to get back together. And I felt, you know, they were quoting verses that, you know, that it was, you know, it was time and that we could only be separated for a time. And But I, I, I felt very... Um, very much like my pain was dismissed right, and um, right. and I, I just I just 
it was very hard. I felt judged, and I felt that I was doing something unchristian by staying separated. Right. It was almost like they wanted to be, they were more concerned with their own comfortability than with your heart. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. It's hard to even say that or hear that because it's icky. But look, let's face it. We are uncomfortable when we see other people, other Christians, especially as believers in the church, in awkward, unbiblical even situations. And we want to just fix it, don't we? Mm-hmm. Don't we? But when people's hearts are online, we have to be sensitive to that, don't we, Julie? Yes. And you know what's kind of interesting is it could have been some of their codependency wanting to fix it that was reaching out to you when when that was the mm-hmm. very thing that you were working on yourself good point yeah. but one thing i have to say is probably more so for my husband the um he has felt a tremendous amount of rejection as mm. he became exposed and you know i didn't um you know shout what happened to us on the rooftops i was uh, relatively uh, private about it because I, I felt like God would be able to, to heal us more if I could be somewhat discreet. I didn't want you know everybody in the neighborhood to know what had happened to us mm-hmm. because they would only shame him. But even those that had you know walked you know the road you know with us for years you know in the church as they found out about it they just pretty much dropped him like a hot potato and that was really hard for him mm-hmm. and even to this day I would say that he kind of struggles with. With um, intimate relationships within the church, uh, he longs for it, but I think he has been truly pained, and um, he's probably a little afraid to um, to become vulnerable again because mm-hmm. of now this whole other baggage that you know has been exposed. Right, right, and that's a good point. I mean, getting help for your husband, first of all, it's not something that you can do. Uh, you can get help for yourself as a wife. And you can pray that your husband will get help and certainly maybe do a little research and offer him some options. But in the end, you know, I get calls, Julie, you probably do all the time, from from wives. Uh, My husband's, you know, addicted to pornography. What do I do? How how can he get help? Well, he's got to pick up the phone. He's got to do it. You know, I won't schedule an appointment for a husband that was made by a wife. I I just won't do that, you know. Secondly, yeah, you have to be discreet because while he's your husband, it's still his information. Mm -hmm. And you can certainly talk to whoever you want about your story. But, yeah, you're right. You have to uh, find somebody that is going to be trustworthy, that is going to be ready and that somebody that's going to be um, uh, committed to confidentiality, all right? And it goes along that whole lines of, listen, you don't throw your pearls before swines. In other words, pigs don't have a reason, for, uh, a use for pearls, okay? Uh, and that doesn't mean that, you know, people are pigs, but, it, you know, <laughs> swines don't have, so you don't see too many jewelry wearing swines is what, what I'm trying to get at. All right. Well, listen, if you're just tuning in, we're meeting with a panel of wives who uh, whose husbands are dealing with sexual addiction in v- various forms. And so if you are a new listener to Blazing Grace, of course, we are listener supported. So if you'd like to help us out with a tax deductible contribution, that is more than welcome. And uh, goodness, wouldn't it be great if people even committed to, I mean, if we had, what did we figure out a while back there? Uh, if we had every listener, something like 4,000 listeners, give uh, $20 uh, a month, I mean, that's like 
what? What did we figure? Eighty thousand dollars a month. Think of all the places we could take this show to. We don't make any money, the three of us, doing this show. This is a, a service to our clients, and it's something we pay for out of our own pockets. But maybe you'd like to share and help us uh, in that mission. Uh, if so, contact Mike. Mike at blazinggrace.org, or go online to blazinggrace.org and look for the support uh, link there. So back to the guests here, uh, Amy, Shanna. I'm kind of curious about. Uh, we talked a little last time about redemptive vision stuff, and certainly this is a way to give back here, and God is redeeming some of the pain and certainly some of the work that you've done in recovery. But where do you see yourself in your marriage in five to ten years? You want to take that, Amy? Um, yeah, and actually I did want to talk about that because when I first got into recovery, I did not have a model for anyone who had made it through this. Mm. Everyone I saw was either in separation or divorce. And one of the things I wanted to say is for me in my situation, I have a husband now who is working a recovery program, and it's not perfect. We still have struggles with um, safety sometimes or other issues and, and now we're even having like normal marriage problems like communication <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good, good. Sign. <laughs> um, but we we are growing together we're learning how to be intimate with each other we're learning more intimacy with God and I see our marriage flourishing I see us um, even having a ministry together we've talked about possibly whatever God has in store for us um, doing something like that, like giving hope and helping people together. Hmm. Hmm. Awesome. Praise God. How about you, Shanna? Um, well, I think um, the the recovery um, has truly changed me and has helped me just to become healthier. Right. And in that way, I'm, um, I feel better equipped to, um, to handle the challenges that come in our marriage. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I think uh, the the process of recovery. I, I have been one that I have completely, you know, um, you know, cherished and embraced. I think for my husband, it's been a little bit harder, uh, but he is very willing because he has made a commitment to me to um, to to go through, you know, some of the things that you know to have counseling with Julie and just you know to to work on it in his way right now, and I'm going to be okay with that like within certain parameters that I've set, you know, that I've talked to him about. But, you know, for us, it's a little bit, um, you know, we're not both kind of working exactly, um, you know, along the same path, but, you know, I'm trying to show a lot of grace and patience and uh, to continue to work on what God is showing me. Yeah, it's exciting. And he's probably brought some people in your path along the way or will. Um, And along those lines, I get calls from wives, and sometimes they don't see the importance of things like, you know, being involved in a group. Obviously, the group that you've been involved with together has been tremendous. But some people don't get that. They They think they can do it in isolation. You know, they can recover sort of in a vacuum, as it were. Or they just don't see why they need to do anything because, after all, it's his problem. So, you know, we, we, we have teleconference groups that meet, and, and so wives will sometimes um, you know, will offer that to them, and they just, you know, they don't get it. Um, what can you say to the wife who's really struggling with embracing her own recovery, Amy? Well, I can certainly see how she would feel that way as far as not wanting to be in a group of people because um, I had surrounded myself with so many unsafe people before I got into recovery. So I would say um, learn what a safe person is, 
and then find a safe group of people, people who you feel really comfortable with and um, meet the criteria of, of being safe. And how would you define, have you read that book, Safe People, by the way? By I haven't, no, okay. but I have a little list in our um, Life Guide for Spouses oh, great. that was yeah. very helpful for me. That's the one, Melissa Haas one? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh, great. So what, what are just some things off the top of your head that make a safe person? I mean, am I safe? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you are so far, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Um, I would say accepting you, are comfortable with your feelings, don't gossip about you, don't judge. Don't try to fix your problem. Um, don't treat you like you are a project of theirs. They're not using you to meet their need. Um, are aware of their own brokenness. And I would say most of all are in relationship with God and sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And I know it's it's amazing when we did that uh, exercise in group how, how few people were in every group member's life that we're actually safe. Right. Yeah, it is. But people are becoming more and more safe. And it's because of people like you, Amy and Shanna. I want to thank you for being on the show here today, uh, this past couple weeks here. We've unfortunately got to wrap up. But uh, blessings to you, blessings to your husbands, and blessings to your families. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you you all for coming on. Tune us in next week. We're excited to have you as part of the blazing grace family and of course if there's any way we can be of service to you please go to blazinggrace.org for plenty of articles information forums you you name it uh tune in next week we're glad to have you with us thank you for tuning in to this edition of the blazing grace show we trust today's broadcast helps bring you closer to god and to what god desires for your life Blazing Grace is a listener-supported mission intended to help listeners around the world. Your support is vital in keeping that mission alive. We ask you to prayerfully consider sending a tax-deductible gift to Blazing Grace. It would be gratefully appreciated. Send your monetary gift to Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. That's Blazing Grace, P.O. Box 62521, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80962-2521. Want to learn more about Blazing Grace? Find us on the internet at www.blazinggrace.org. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N-G-G-R-A-C-E dot O-R-G forward slash radio dot htm on that page you'll find a downloadable copy of this show or you can visit oneplace.com under ministries look for blazing grace radio if you want help resolving a sexual addiction you can reach jason graves by dialing toll free 877-590-SOUL that's 877-590-7685 julie dozier can be reached at 719-266-66 That's 719-266-6636. Get a copy of Mike's book, The Road to Grace, by visiting roadtograce.com. That's the word to and not the number. Desire for a specific subject to be covered on the show? Email Mike Janung at mike at 
blazinggrace.org. We look forward to sharing more blazing issues and grace-filled answers with you next time. Thank you so very much for listening. Tell a friend about the broadcast. On behalf of Jason, Mike, and Julie, may God richly shine his grace upon you.